Welcome, everyone, for our second episode of Four Score and Seven Podcasters. I'm here this afternoon with Mr. Kellett, Ms. Turner, Ms. Braun, and Mr. McKay. Uh, we alluded to the idea last time at the end of our inaugural episode that we'd be speaking about George Washington. So we have some information to share with you today, not necessarily about the stuff that you would find in textbooks or that we necessarily read about in class, but we're going to talk about some of the ideas and stories about George Washington that might not be as well known to the general public, and hopefully some things that you think are a little bit more fun than the run-of-the-mill type stuff we read about in textbooks. Thanks, Mr. DeCosmo. Uh, that really kind of gets everyone up to speed about why we're here. I was just hoping uh, we could get a little insight from our co-hosts about what we all think about our memories of learning about George Washington. You know, he's the first president, he's on the dollar bill, we all have kind of a cultural connection to him. Um, you know, but I, thinking back, I, yeah, I, I think he was kind of just a, he's more of an idea and an icon, and we, I don't know if we really fully explored him um, as students, or at least in my elementary school memory. Well, he was a hero, right? He was the father of the country and the hero of the war, and he was more of the ideal to aspire to. I don't think we were as critical of him or um, analyzed his decisions like we're asking you to do in, in a paper. But as far as I can remember, he was, he was just the hero, and everyone accepted it. When I think of George Washington, I think of hope. Um, I mean, you know, obviously with the Revolutionary War, but then post-Revolutionary War with the foundation of our country, it's like George Washington represented a symbol of who we are and what we want to be, and he was the face of kind of the new world. I think when I think back of, uh, of what I learned about George Washington in elementary school, I, nothing specific. Um, and then in high school, in, in New York where I grew up, U.S. history is all in one year. So our um, understanding of anything to do with U.S. history was shortened because it, we had to condense it all into one year. Ms. Turner, you had said that you'd been to Mount Vernon, which is George Washington's home. I've been a couple of times with my with my children to Mount to Mount Vernon, where George Washington's home is. Um, I don't know; it's a beautiful a beautiful house. What did your kids think of Mount Vernon? My kids didn't like waiting in line there. (laughs) Um, But uh, I was taken aback by to learn that anyone could stay at Mount Vernon when George Washington lived there. Any passers-by, as long as the rooms weren't full, he would accept into his home, kind of like a hotel. And as long as you were there, he would feed you and make sure that you were happy um, to be there. Just for our listeners, Ms. Turner, where is Mount Vernon again? Can we let them know? By Washington. Okay, thanks. That makes sense. You know, good, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, mean, I think that would be a logical place for it to Although, be. Just Although to be... he never was in the White House. That's he, right. He never That's lived right. in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> I went to Monticello a few years ago on a teacher workshop, and I was very struck by the the people who were running the the exhibits. Um, you know, I think that Mount Vernon is is not run; it's not a national park. I don't believe it's a national landmark. Um, and so, the curators of these places they try to tell a certain story, and I think that gets back to the idea of you know, should we portray him as as a hero? You know, for example, Monticello, Jefferson's home. It wasn't until uh, the late '90s that they even in any of their exhibits um, made note of the fact that there for well since since the 1790s there were um, uh, a large set of people who believed that Thomas Jefferson uh, had had uh, uh, fathered children at least one child or more with one of his slaves 
And, you know, that was eventually proven by DNA evidence, but they at the exhibit didn't acknowledge it. Now they do. Uh, and now it's a, it's more of a complete story. And I guess the point is when you go to Mount Vernon, when you go to places, when you read sources um, like some of the ones we're going to talk about today, you always need to ask yourself, are the people who are sharing this information, are they trying to paint a picture about a certain person? Are they trying to create an idea or are they trying to get at the truth? And I think that's a pretty complicated thing um, for for people to really grapple with, especially someone as significant and cultural as, as Washington. Yeah, I think um, that's a good point. I agree with Miss Braun in some aspects, where if you were to ask me about George Washington, uh, what I learned about when he was a kid, I, he was just basically an infallible leader who is a benevolent you know, general in the war, if you would have asked me, did George Washington ever lose a battle? I would have said a definitive no. If you asked me, did he have any things in his background or in his personal life that I might find to be objectionable, that would have been out of the question for me because, boy, that's George Washington. So I always try to explain to students that these guys are all human. There's a very big difference between great and good, and a lot of times great leaders are not necessarily good men. Our leaders, our politicians are very human, and there's a lot of levels um, in their personal lives. When you start to learn about these leaders, they kind of lose that sense of infallibility. And George Washington had some questionable decisions, and so did Thomas Jefferson, okay? One of the main things being that they both owned hundreds of people. So it's interesting that when you look at our leaders and you delve into their personal lives, it starts being that they're more human and they make mistakes just like us. All that being said, I mean, we're talking about some pretty serious, uh, serious topics. I I think that we should have a little bit of fun with this. And I'm all about fun, Mr. Kellett. I love fun. It's it's, it's one of my favorite. I'm on board for this. It's one of my favorite (laughs) things is just having fun with history. And, you know, we're not here to teach you – all the nitty-gritty about his political decisions, about treaties that were signed when he was in office, speeches he gave. There's, there's plenty of places to find that information, and, and uh, you know, we just want to have a little bit of fun talking about some interesting things. So I want to talk about two things in particular today, and I'm sure my, my peers can maybe add to this if they want, but I'm pretty interested in his teeth. They seem yuck. Uh, well. <laughs> were they wooden? Uh, well, well, Were no. they ivory? They were so, not. Whatever they were, they were, did not look comfortable. So we did a little research on that. We also want to talk about cherry trees. So we did a little research, um, and that's really what the model of this podcast is going to be today. So we go out, we do a little bit of uh, exploring, uh, try to use some credible resources to, to bring to light some interesting facts for our listeners. Um, one of the myths out there about Washington is that he had wooden teeth. Have you guys heard that myth before? I have. I've heard that too. Yes. I, indeed. <laughs> Wait. I, where have you guys heard this? I, I can't even pinpoint, like we said at the beginning. I it's cannot... kind of like the lore of George Washington. Like, he chopped down the cherry tree. He had wooden teeth. He was infallible. Like, all of these things that yeah. you remember that you learned, but you don't know where it was. Like, it seems intrinsic. I think it's a representation, too, to kind of build him up as a stronger person and a more powerful person. You know, hey, he had wooden teeth. He's a man. He's tough. I, I, you, you hear that story, and you think, like, wow, like, 
you know, I do you, first off, I do would, you associate? And I'm not. Do we associate wooden teeth with masculinity? I do. I mean, I think when you have wooden teeth, how else it, would you know yeah. if a man was masculine except if he had wooden teeth? That's a good point. Be realistic. I mean, it was the 1700s version of bling. I mean, let's be honest. Wooden teeth. I mean, it just speaks toughness. A grill and, you could actually grill with. Absolutely. <laughs> But I think that honor and that concept of having that kind of is part of his folklore. It is, but it's actually in no way true that he had wooden teeth, which is, you know, one of the things we come across in history a lot. We did a little, you know, these these ideas, these folklore. Now, he did have uh, dental problems. And can we just talk about the dentist a little bit? He had dental problems from a really young age. Yeah. I mean, like, first of all, I mean, I respect all professions, especially dentists. I, that being said, do not enjoy going to the dentist I, not it's at all not, it is miserable but i mean it's it's real i'm really glad for a lot of different things there's a lot of reasons i'm glad i was not alive in the 1790s i think that uh medicine has come a long way dental work has come a long way um so uh, obviously i'm really grateful for that vaccinations how yeah. about the time when they think that you're sick and the problem is that you have too much blood or smallpox i think just hygiene in general has soap has improved. Toothpaste. Soap, deodorant. I'm partial to soap. <laughs> Huge fan of soap. Great. Mr. DeCosmo is our, our resident soap maker. Um, it's true. He makes maker. soap. Yes, that's not a joke. That's an actual thing. That is straight facts that Mr. DeCosmo makes soap. I'm a fan of the saponification process. I use sodium hydroxide, not potassium hydroxide. I don't know what that means, but we're going to move on. Um, We're talking about teeth, right? Yeah, okay. I think so. I think we got off on a little tangent there. We'll, we'll do a whole. We, you know, we could do an episode on the history of soap later if you want, Mr. DeCosmo. I think Mr. DeCosmo would be all over that. Just do that a solo. If you so want. I just looked up. Sounds good. That toothpaste was not invented until 1873. It starts being mass produced in 1873 by Colgate. L- produces jars of toothpaste. So I think that perhaps George Washington, like many folks in the in the 1800s, suffered from not being able to keep his teeth clean. It, if I recall correctly, it wasn't a toothbrush people used to clean. It was a wet rag, and sometimes they would use it dipped in salt, so like a granular aspect to you know provide some type of abrasion for your teeth. But literally, there's no toothbrushes, no toothpaste. You pick up a rag and wipe your teeth off. And to the common learner today, I mean, this information really kind of further expands this idea that he had wooden teeth or the thought that he had wooden teeth because, again – all you see is that these things came along much later in history. Yeah, and, you know, he, he it's, there's also genetics that play a role. I mean, not everybody had uh, teeth like George Washington. I was reading he was, he was a, you know, he became a very soft-spoken person because of, one, the discomfort he was in, and two, he was worried that if he laughed or um, was jovial in any way, he literally had a spring-loaded dentures made out of ivory. A lot of people thought they were wood because uh, as they kind of, war and stained from you know drinking wine or whatever they kind of took on a you know they kind of had grain type looks to them so it became kind of a myth that he had wooden teeth he was afraid that one it was painful to speak and and so um you know he was he was well spoken but it was not something that he was necessarily known for and he was also worried that they would literally fly out of his mouth during um you know formal addresses and speeches or if he laughed I'm interested to know about this. Uh, what was the spring mechanism for? Uh, well, I would, I, I mean, I would imagine that it would help to open the denture when he would open his mouth, and then he could compress it 
So that he could chew. So that he could chew and close, and then it would reopen again. I don't think they were affixed um, in the way that maybe modern dentures might be. They were set in a silver plate in his mouth. That sounds absolutely miserable, by the way. I just wanted to say that. It's just hard to believe that, like, the farewell address, the real farewell address, the full version of the farewell address is so long. I can't imagine being worried the whole time that your teeth would come out while you were reading it. And they were replaced a number of times due to wear and tear um, and actually had an impact on the shape of his face. So that could account for the different appearances he might have in various paintings of him because if his teeth are of a different material or made by a different dentist, then his facial shape is going to change. And it could also explain his favorite foods, um, cream of peanut soup and mashed sweet potatoes because he couldn't chew. It had to be softer foods so that he could actually enjoy them. Could also add to his stoic features as well, just being, you know, stoic more often, mouth shut, just trying to avoid your teeth coming out, I guess. <laughs> I couldn't imagine I teaching in front of everyone and having my teeth fly would, out of my mouth. I, I definitely just... want to avoid that at all costs. Uh, yeah, so this myth, you know, I mean, look, George Washington, there's, there's, there is documentation that he purchased human teeth, um, including human teeth from slaves. And, we're, you know, there's a lot of speculation about... Um, you know, the circumstances in which those teeth were acquired. And I think it really opens doors to a broader conversation and a realization of what you were saying earlier, Mr. DeCosmo, that, you know, there's a lot of complex stuff going on here um, and and issues of, um, you know, unanswered questions when it comes to um, how Washington uh, may have treated um, his slaves, how, how he may have viewed them. Um, we just don't know the whole story about that. Yeah, I find this interesting because the question that I wondered to myself is, was this from a slave that had passed away? Or were these teeth taken and then the person just lived their life without the teeth? And I know two other spots that people would get teeth from uh, at the time period. You would get them from executed criminals and from soldiers, uh, soldiers that were killed in battle. Uh, One of the reasons being you could get them from soldiers is that a lot of times, the people that die in battle are on the, on the younger side. And people that are younger, their teeth aren't as worn. So it's interesting to hear, I wonder, where he got these from and were the people that he got them from still living after he acquired their teeth? And to piggyback on that, what, like, what was the social expectation? Like, was this a common norm of the time period? You know, getting teeth from different people. As Mr. DeCosmo just mentioned, you know, these clearly are some examples where teeth were obtained. But, you know, was it common to get teeth from your slave was it common to have an expectation that you're going to get certain things from people um like something personal like teeth i got an uh, an article here from the george washington papers from a researcher at the university of virginia um and she talks about how uh, we do have evidence that he purchased uh, uh human teeth it says the physical evidence in addition to the notation in his ledger books, the physical evidence, a pair of Washington's dentures that includes human teeth, is part of the collection at Mount Vernon. As to the circumstances surrounding the creation of these dentures, the best historians can do is make an educated guess. So let's, tr- let's turn to the, the cherry tree story. You know, we're not going to just, like I just said, we're not going to resolve, uh, hi- you know, history's mysteries, so to speak. Um, but uh, let's talk a little bit about the... the the idea of George Washington never being able to tell tell a lie. Anybody want to talk a little bit about this one? I think the idea that our leaders are the greatest of the humans, the idea that our our greatest leaders couldn't tell lies, this is something that I certainly remember about George Washington, that he, he could never tell a lie. I don't know if you guys 
feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you mentioned this because I grew up hearing the same thing. Like, oh, you know, I cannot tell a lie. I did it, right? And then you, you learn about George Washington's military history, and he's like the number one liar. It's just networks of spies. <laughs> well, right? So, no, you can't tell a lie unless it's to, like, everybody. <laughs> well, I believe the story goes uh, that George Washington – so this uh, – Miss Brian, you were, you were, we were talking about this earlier. Yep. Um, well, there was a, a biographer, early biographer of early George biographer Washington. Early biographer who was a minister, Mason Locke Weems. And this story first appears in his biography – um, of Washington, the life of Washington. And the story goes that when Washington was six years old, his father gave him a hatchet as a gift. That's a great idea. I, have I a, think it's a great idea at all. Do, do you, anybody I, have, I have a couple of, of uh, kids at home. And yeah, so hatchets for Christmas. Hatchets. I, I mean, I, was, I thought that I was going to raise them without any weaponry in the house. And I was wrong because they'll make weapons out of anything. <laughs> but this is, I mean, a hatchet for a six-year-old seems early, but it was different times. I have to agree with Miss Turner. As a youth, I was constantly persecuted by my mother for making nunchucks. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he got this hatchet, which apparently was like on the top ten list of gifts that year for a young child. Probably showed up um, in the big book of toys. Absolutely. Yeah. And he promptly went and cut down his father's favorite cherry tree. When his father found out about the incident, he asked him, um, and was angry and confronted his son. Um, and little George Washington simply replied, yes, I did it. And this story appeared in this biography that um, Minister Weems uh, published in 1806. And some are wondering if it was true or if it was a myth. And the only source that Weems cites is a family friend who wished to remain anonymous which seems a little unreliable as a source. Um, and some speculate as to whether perhaps the minister wanted to use Washington and all the glory that came with, with Washington and that image of him as the ideal leader to sort of inspire morality in his parishioners and teach especially young parishioners um, that it was not appropriate or acceptable to lie. And even our best leader didn't lie. I don't know. What do you think? It's so important to take into account who your author is when you're reading a source. And in this case, knowing that the source is a minister that might have had um, reason to try and encourage people to tell the truth because he was a minister uh, does certainly put this in a different perspective. You know, Washington's farewell address you know, does say that our nation should be a religious one. We need to be a moral one. So, you know, there are his words that you know, we can debate um, whether or not in modern America that's the sentiment our leaders should have, uh, not so much the issue of morality, but perhaps the issue of religious. And, um, you know, he was someone who I think viewed probably honesty and things of that nature as virtues. Uh, so perhaps this author was simply embellishing a, a, in – relation to a characteristic that he felt Washington did have and did possess. And therefore, maybe he wasn't being disingenuous to add a childhood story to it. To it, Or he was, maybe he was just trying to tell a better story. Um, and we do this with all, all of our historical sources. Um, and I think, I think, you know, we can, we can probably look at pretty much everything we read in this day and age and say, you know, where did this come from? Where did this idea come from? Um, 
I'm struck immediately by the father giving his son a hatchet at six, but I think that's more me <laughs> imposing my, my modern culture on, you know, a different world. Yeah, when it comes to the hatchet at six-year-old, I mean, is anybody going to be surprised that this thing went off the rails? <laughs> <laughs> you give a hatchet to a six-year-old and he goes and cuts down a tree. Isn't that, like, the best that could have worked out? <laughs> giving him permission to do that and it could have been a lot worse what were they hoping that he was going to use the hatchet for if not cutting down a tree that's a good point i didn't even think of that (laughs) i don't know (laughs) you did what (laughs) you guys gave me a hatchet (laughs) all right right, so let's let's try to bring this back here as we start to wrap things up to uh a little segment at the end. We'll just go through a few fast facts about Washington, add a little more context to who this guy was. Uh, and also we should note, uh, from, we are just not even scratching the surface. I mean, people dedicate their lives to it. We're dedicating 20 minutes, and we're, we're spending a good part of it just just having a conversation. So uh, there's so much more to learn, and there's so many places to learn it. And by the way, we got these uh, the information we shared with you today from a variety of sources. Uh, Mount Verton uh, has uh, some resources uh, on their website, there's a Journal of American History we explored. National Park Service has a whole website about uh, chopping down the cherry tree um, and the myth of that. And uh, we took a look at the George Washington Papers, the actual documentary evidence uh, that uh, is, I believe, currently housed at the University of Virginia. But uh, we got some fast facts. Who's got stuff? What do we got? Did you know that not only is he considered the father of our nation, but also the father of the American foxhound? He was a dog breeder, and they believe that he created this breed in our country. He had many dogs, and he named the dogs um, with all sorts of tiers, uh, terms of endearment, like Tipsy, Venus, True Love, and wait for it, Sweet Lips. I don't know why Sweet Lips. I don't but want to know. American Foxhound. <laughs> he liked to party. He liked I, the ladies. He liked dancing. So loved mm. dancing. No comment. <laughs> You're not a dancer, Mr. McKay. I am a dancer, but I, you know, I just I, I didn't you are want, okay. I, I love it dancing, is. but I just didn't really want to get involved in terms of George Washington's dancing habits. I think that he uh, he could be one of the best dancers in, in in revolutionary time. But you know, what about Thomas Jefferson? What about Alexander Hamilton? What about you? You know, don't want to start putting one founding father above the other. On I, the I don't think you hierarchy. can judge their dancing skills without seeing them all, or at least getting at least some some. Uh, counteraction comments back well, about for all of our skills. listeners out there this is an area of further research I would encourage you to explore yeah, this definitely. And, uh, absolutely here's my fact uh, George Washington was huge <laughs> how so, big was he Mr. how big was he he was 6 foot 2 I, I have in the notes here that he was 200 pounds I've seen it up to 220 pounds so he was a big guy even by modern day standards when you're talking 1780s, 1790s, this is the Napoleonic times where the average height of a man is like 5'5 five, five or 5'6. Five, so Washington's 8 inches taller than the average man, and depending on the source you look at, 50 or 70 or 80 pounds heavier. So the way I describe it to my students and the way that Miss Braun doesn't want to say on, on a recording is that he was Gronk-sized. So if you saw George Washington modern day... Miss Braun, are you not a Gronk fan? I'm a big Gronk fan. I am. If he came into a room today, you'd be like, wow, who's that huge guy? Because for the time frame, he's gigantic. It would be like if somebody was maybe 6'7", 260, 270. Although for the record, Mr. DeCosmo, I would note that I don't think we've had a president under six feet since Jimmy Carter. 
Is that true? Yeah, I believe that is true. Wow. Shortest president was James Madison, 5'4". There you go. We do have a, a track record of electing tall presidents. I could be wrong on what I just said. It was just in my head. No. It's I've read okay. the, about the electing tall presidents. Somehow it aspi- inspires confidence. At the time, especially, 6'2 would be gigantic, like yeah. what you were saying. Even modern day, I think I read like 90% of CEOs are 6'2 or taller. How tall are you, Mr. DeCoggle? 6'3". Oh, so, so you're taller than you're pretty tall. I am. You're like Washington size. Yeah, even Gronk size. Gronk size. Some might say. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Tom Brady size. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. The goat. <laughs> well, on that note, I don't know. We have anything else we want to share? I've enjoyed this conversation. I hope you found it interesting. Um, share it out. We'll hope to make more of these as we explore U.S. history together. And what's our next topic? Do we know yet? Well, Thanksgiving's right around the corner. I think that might be worth exploring. Ooh, definitely. Ooh. Would love to talk Thanksgiving. There's a yes. lot there's a lot to uncover there. And I I gotta uh, tell everyone out there who's listening, all of you people. Both of them. Uh, that uh, both <laughs> all of them, that, too. Uh, you know, this is an opportunity for us teachers to learn too. So we I learned a little bit about Washington by We did some for research, this. yeah. Did a little research yeah. and I look forward to I doing that. I want to talk next about time. foods that were at the the first Thanksgiving. That's outstanding. They're a lot idea. different than you think what they are. You know? yeah, that sounds like I a great don't think place they to start. Were as delicious as what we'll be enjoying. Maybe that peanut time. soup. Probably true. Cream of peanut. Cream soup. of peanut Ooh, soup. I'm gonna pass. Yeah. No. Thank you. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Thank you.